Just before the episode, I would like to thank all our Patreon members. You guys, the support means the world to me and helps keep this podcast going. And if you haven't signed up for Patreon yet, just so you know, Lindsay from formerly 33% Pulp and I cover a lot of different true crime and history media like The Keepers and the Paradise Lost series, as well as covering some topics that you guys probably wouldn't hear about otherwise. You know, we've covered the Ainu of Japan, we've covered Bernard Pernat, lots of different cases, and as well as some surprise and different kinds of content such as crazy sci-fi movies comes up as well. So love if you would check it out. Thank you guys for all the support and allowing me to keep doing this for the past few years, so thank you. And now on to the episode. So welcome back to the Cult of Domesticity. I'm here with Scott of the many podcasts. You at Status Pending, Dead and Gone in Wyoming, Finding Jody, my missing one. <laughs> um, uh, are you? Uh, Dead and Gone, Frozen Truth. Frozen Truth. <laughs> and Status Pending, did you say that one? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Scott of the many. It makes me sound like I'm from the, the British Isles of the 16th century. Scott of the many. Scott of the many. You and Heather of the many. <laughs> All the podcasts. I can barely do one. <laughs> That's okay. You do it well, which arguably is better than trying to do six. So I feel like yours, though, lends, your, lends to doing multiple because you do in-depth research. So it's like put, do one episode, of, like do a block of episodes or do a short season, whereas mine is... A variety of to- it's mine is a box of chocolates where it's a variety of chocolates and yours is like would you like this really really nice piece of belgian chocolate but only once a month yes see well i mean i'll go with the the analogy there i guess but the problem is like the chocolatier right so in diving deep like i do i become obsessed i become howard hughes about the podcasting and it's not great for the mental health so in some ways I'm envious of podcasts like yours because you can just do it really well, consistently do this, the, the same thing differently every time, and bada bing, bada boom, you're done. You don't have to overprove yourself by having five or 17 podcasts, but that's what I've done. So here I am, and thank you for having me. <laughs> We've been talking about doing another episode, what, since the last episode we did together, which was... Yes. Oh God, let it me, was let too me long ago, find. so my Skype says it was August. Of of 2019. Yeah, it's it's probably right. It yeah, you were episode 78. Yeah, 78, it's been too 79. long. It's been far too long. But we were going to do a couple true. of different topics, and then we decided on what we decided on for this one. I'm very excited. I'm just happy to be back. I missed you so, and too many things have happened in our world, and uh, I I've craved my normalcy. This really is fun though. To be on your show is way fun because it's history. It's relaxed. You can drink during it as opposed to all my other podcasts. So that's what I'm doing. That's true. I, I haven't been drinking. I, I drank my feelings too much last week. So I decided <laughs> to take a week off of drinking. So and I just got a bunch of tea. So I'm drinking a maple oolong. So it's it's seasonally appropriate. It's November. If you say so. Is that a tea of some kind? Yeah, it's oolong is a type of tea and it okay. has maple flavorings and stuff in it. That sounds so, good. Very fall very fall it smells wonderful it smells like pancakes you know <laughs> like pancakes maple in syrup. fall i think a lot of people probably did drink their feelings last week though throughout the whole thing that was fun in a historical sense and very stressful in a real time sense to uh, 
everything that has gone on and still continues to go on with the election. Oh, yeah. What was I went to work on Wednesday and someone left CNN up <laughs> and we reached the point where the, the Electoral College stopped changing. Right. And we're all sitting and it wasn't busy enough at work for us to not continually like glance at it. And I go, like, oh, my own coworker goes, can we change it? I'm like, yeah, let's change this. No one needs this anxiety. She goes, <laughs> it's like, because we're also dealing with, like, working in a restaurant with, like, when there's COVID, high COVID rates. So, like, that's right. always stressful. And then you're just watching this, like, doomsday clock. That's a good, and, that's a good way to put it. The doomsday clock to 270. Yeah. And <laughs> it didn't get solved till, what, Thursday? No, well... Okay, I I pretty I guess we pretty much knew on Thursday or Friday, right? But the concession or the uh, call didn't come until uh, Saturday. I'm not sure the concession will ever come. But Biden claimed victory on what was it Thursday or Friday, and then officially, unofficially, it was Saturday. If it I, it probably was Friday because I didn't know, and I work all day on Friday. Or was it Friday? So. Maybe you're right. I, think I can't remember. I guess I'm starting to block it out already. Y'all need to calm down. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much my bumper sticker for the entire election, for everybody, for both sides. Guys, relax. Re- drink some of that tea. What would you call it? Oh, it's maple oolong. Artichoke bark or something. <laughs> <laughs> drink some of that and just relax. Because, yeah, man, it was um, getting off a, a roller coaster designed by Stephen King. It, it feels like we're now just getting off and it's like, wow, what what just happened? But and, and like Stephen King during a cocaine, the cocaine <laughs> yeah. years, if you added acid, you know, like not a normal, nice Stephen King, not like, the older, more well-balanced Stephen King, the Stephen King that for some reason dropped that that section in the middle of it about all the kids with the orgy, that Stephen King designing a roller coaster and you just ate like uh, McDonald's beforehand, and it, it's just bad. So now we're all just getting off. Our stomachs are settling. We're getting our, uh, you know, our G-forces squared away. And, man, it was it was crazy, though. And it seemed to go on forever because I guess it did. It went on for two years plus. Can we all just agree that we only get, like, eight months of this because I can't deal with that'd it? That'd be great. Eight months would be fine. Kind of a football, kind of a sports season, you know? That'd be that'd yeah. be all right. Because then they ha- you have to come in knowing what you want. You got to come in prepared. And, you know, I'm tired of dealing with these, like, two-year elections because it ages everyone. So no wonder why America's one of the most stressed out countries. <laughs> yeah. We're constantly running elections. Democracy all- will get you. It, it yeah. will. Yeah. So would you like to tell everyone what our our topic is today? Sure. Well, my topic is the uh, politically themed topic is the attempted theft of the body of President Abraham Lincoln after his death, obviously. Um, I love telling people this story because some some people know it, but most people don't know about um, Lincoln's body. And obviously he was one of our greatest presidents. And most people don't know that a couple of people actually tried to steal his body after he had died. So that's what we're covering today. Isn't there a drunk history on this? I feel like there might this, be. Yeah, there should be. There's sh- like if well, it's canceled now. So oh, it is. R.I.P. Yeah, that's COVID got to before it. Before I got before I got to be on it, that was one of my ambitions. We'll just have to do it for a, a Patreon for all of our shows. <laughs> drunk history. So I'm going to cite the book that I read over the weekend. Lincoln's grave robbers. Steve Scheinken. It was actually very well done. Short. It was well researched. You could tell what had to go into it. A lot of old historical research, I'm sure, was not easy to track down. 
But um, our story, it's actually not a story, interestingly, about a, a true crime as much as it is about counterfeiting. That's where this whole thing starts. So in 1860, and, and if I mess any of this up, please feel free and let me know. But I just, I have f- half a page of notes here. So most of this is going to be from the top of my head. But around 1860, most of the currency in the U.S. was coins, the pre-Civil War. And there was counterfeiting of these coins, but they weren't very good at it because the the reward wasn't there because coins are only worth a relatively small amount of money. So people took the time to counterfeit the currency of, you know, around the mid-19th century in America before the Civil War, then they would be pretty cheap knockoffs because there just wasn't incentive to, um, to create fake currency. Paper money comes along, though, in about, well... After the Civil War, after the outbreak of the Civil War, the Union has to pay now in, in, in lots of money to fund its war effort. The dollar amounts of the total economy are skyrocketing. And so paper money is introduced into the system. And that's when the counterfeiters start to um, take advantage of these government-issued printing presses, all of a sudden overnight printing millions and millions of dollars, literally back then, of paper money. And some of these counterfeiters were actually pretty good. And there was one counterfeiter in particular whose name was Benjamin Boyd. Do you know, do you know why this is where the, around the time the term greenback comes into effect? Because of the, um, I'm not sure I do, because of the... The color, they were green. The color of the money, yeah. Yeah, the color of the dye. Right. I believe. So by 18, well, by the mid... Let's see. By the by, after after Lincoln's death. So obviously Abraham Lincoln. Most people know the basic history. Sixteenth president preserves the union, and there's a lot of history in here that's not necessarily relevant to what happens next. So we'll skip over it. But he is assassinated following the conclusion of the Civil War, and a couple of years go by. Well, the union is recovering from that. They're still recovering from the end of the Civil War, obviously, and there's a lot of discord leading up to a very tumultuous presidential election in 1876, which turns out to be not dissimilar to the election that we all just lived through. Something a bit different than that, though, um, that we'll talk about because it becomes a part of the story. But um, by 18, well, by 1874, there's this counterfeiter named Benjamin Boy, who has become the Michael Jordan of counterfeiting paper money. He is a rock star. He is um, he is actually single-handedly threatening the entire economy of the United States because he's undermining the currency. When in the 1860s, early 1860s when coin currency was was the predominant currency in America, 1 or 2% of the currency was counterfeit. By mid 1870s, by 1874, 1875, half of the currency in America was fake. By some estimates. Yeah, and that under that like that undermines it because people won't start accepting it. Right. And so that's where you go back to bartering or putting because I believe this is where we kind of get off the gold. We don't really get off the gold standard until the New Deal, but like people were debating about it heavily now, like because they're like, do. Because the problem is, if you're a shopkeeper, let's say you accept five dollars for whatever it is that you're selling and you find out that that when you go to the bank that five dollars is counterfeit you're not only out your profit of the five dollars you're out the supply that you just gave up the five dollars worth of goods it's like driving off with 
uh, full tank of gas, that gas station has a very, very small profit margin and you just took, you know, $40 worth of their pro their product. So when the counterfeiting became that prominent across the country, the Secret Service was literally put on the case because Congress flipped out. They didn't know what to do. They, they didn't know how to stop it. They didn't really have an enforcement. There was no FBI, obviously. There was no law enforcement agency tasked with tracking this down, especially on the national scale, because all of our system to this day is federalist in that every jurisdiction kind of has prominence over itself. We've evened that out a little bit, obviously, over the years. But even today, it's like that, where every jurisdiction enforces itself. So we needed a national police force like 100 years before Herbert Hoover would, would found the FBI. So that's where the Secret Service gets involved. They're tasked without precedent and, frankly, probably unconstitutionally uh, to, to track down, be the national police force for this one uh, this one, um, I can't remember the term that they used um, for it, for counterfeiting of paper money. You have to think, too, they didn't really, we didn't really have local police forces either. Right. So they're, they're going in cold a lot of the time because you, like, now, like, say there's something happening, it's most likely going to, like, ping off at the local level. Like, I, Ohio was just in the news for a big break in a human trafficking, and they found out because... There was someone who, uh, a sex worker who got arrested for attacking a guy and she like broke it. So they worked on it, worked on it all across the county, across the state. So they went to the state. So like state troopers were involved. FBI was involved. So there's like multiple layers. But a lot of things don't happen unless, you know, someone gets arrested by a local cop now, like, or right. local, like someone locally notices something weird. So they're going into a lot of places really cold, which has to be really, really fucking hard. Well, even the FBI today, after Hubert's, uh, uh, Hoover's death, Hubert, after Hoover's death, they had to curtail some of what he had built in terms of just a nationwide capacity for law enforcement because he had overstepped. So even now, the FBI doesn't get involved in nearly as much as they used to, and they're, they're, they're involved in some things nationally in the national interest, but they're not a national law enforcement agency. So we didn't have one then, and we still really don't have one. But you mean you're not supposed to just, like, <laughs> wiretap whoever you want, threaten people? I eventually have to cover Hoover, because he... Yes, you do, yes. ...is a fascinating character, and just so many issues. <laughs> I don't know where you would, you would go with it, though. Like, you'd have to compartmentalize it. It could be a series, maybe. It would have to be at least a two-parter. It would be, like, a very brief one, and I'd have to find be like, go here if you want more. There <laughs> like, you go. go <laughs> it's a lot of what I do with deep series. I'm like, go here. I'm covering a lot of things really quick. So along those same lines, the Secret Service now, like the FBI under Hoover, is tasked with doing something it had not done before and didn't frankly know how to do. And so these these well-meaning, most of them, uh, professional law enforcement agents would go throughout the Midwest primarily, throughout the country, and try to get these counterfeiters. They would try to track them down using human sourcing, basically just getting in and getting sources and finding where these people hung out and arresting them and building cases against them. And you've got throughout this whole time Benjamin Boyd, who again, that's the Michael Jordan of of uh, paper money. He he created a five dollar a five dollar mold of the five dollar bill that was so good that experts couldn't tell that it was fake. He spent he said he spent like ten years creating just that one mold, but eventually he was arrested 
1876. In so the, how did we? How did they find out they were fakes then, if they were that good? So usually it was a bank teller who spotted it because bank tellers would train the 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 merit the how good a bank teller was would be based on his ability because it was all men back then his ability to spot a fake and at at the height of Benjamin Boyd in the American banking system any bank teller in the country would spot especially in a major city would spot a fake once every hour and that's just the ones they spotted and that's at every bank across the country in major cities anyway so he that's was impressive. he was undermining the entire United States economy at a time when it didn't need to be undermined after the conclusion of the Civil War. We're still recovering in a lot of different ways. We did a, we we did a really good job fucking it up ourselves. Yeah, is exactly. What you're saying. Pretty much. And then, but we're trying to heal, and here comes Benjamin Boyd, who is threatening the entire commerce of the country. And so, the Secret Service doesn't know how initially, but they have to find this guy. Eventually, it takes a couple of years, but they actually do, and they arrest him. And he is sentenced to, at that time, 10 years in prison was a very harsh sentence for such a crime. But they, again, kind of threw out all precedent throughout the law and said, you need to go away for a long time. And so they sentenced him to 10 years in the state pen in Joliet, Illinois. So that's where the stealing of Abraham Lincoln's body starts. Because, uh, let's see, to quote Reagan, trickle-down criminality here. So if you have one counterfeiter who is that prominent and that successful, he is making money for lots of different small gangs across the country, and especially where he operated in Illinois and across the Midwest. So this is where we meet in Chicago an Irish gang leader, a small-time crook, really, named Jim Canale. Big Jim is how they refer to him. Big Jim, perfect I just did Italian hands. I don't know why I did Italian. (laughs) He's Irish. But I always feel like with the mob, you want to do well, like... Well, Big Jim. Yeah. Big right. Jim. And, and the mob. Yeah. And you could have gotten yeah. away with not saying anything since it's video, Courtney. But. I know, but I, I had to at least tell you, I was like, <laughs> I don't know why I did it. I don't know what... There's no Irish hand signal. Hand, like hand thing. Uh, why not Irish people? Why don't you have such... Because I guess Italians talk with their hands, the Irish don't. Because it's cold. Because it's cold. Are you just, are you making this up now or? <laughs> this I don't know. Scientific? I want to know now. It's not scientific. It's my because guess. Because it's but. cold. <laughs> so anyway, Big Jim, who talks like this all the time when he's talking about his plans and restaurants, he owns a bar. He owns a bar called The Hub in Chicago. It's a small bar. And he's not an, what I thought it was going to be named, but okay. No. Yeah. The Hub. There's no, it's not a very hands, you know, Italian gesture it's, for an Irish mob leader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never gonna live that down, and it's fine. Well, what would it have been? What What would an aptly named Irish bar, Mick something, I guess, McGillicuddy's or O'Malley's or Patties. Yeah, no, it wasn't. That was just the hub. I don't know why, but that's what it was called. So sneakier. Big Jim is a. Uh, we can change it if you want. It's only history. No one cares. So <laughs> he's the owner of Shamrocks in Chicago. <laughs> the Hub Shamrocks Edition. You're right. <laughs> So he's a bartender. He's unassuming, and he's like, it's a criminal bar in terms of this is a place where all these people would hang out, uh, small-time crooks. But walking in there, you could walk in there, I suppose, accidentally, and it doesn't look like it's mobbed out. You know, it doesn't look like it's a, a criminal place necessarily until you get talking to the people who are in there. So his whole thing was to run his small criminal gang, Big Jim, from Shamrocks, in a way that is undetectable, um, but still is an organizing point for his small town gang. So after the arrest of Benjamin Boyd, 
it doesn't take long for him to start to feel the pinch and everybody else, you know, on down the line, again, trickle down criminality. Everyone's starting to feel the, the business just dries up from this very lucrative underbelly of the economy of counterfeiting. Benjamin Boyd's in jail. Nobody can do what he, he did. No one can even come close. So all of a sudden, the Secret Service has basically um, achieved their goal because overnight, 50% of the U.S. currency being counterfeited becomes 20%, which becomes 10%. And eventually, they have to figure out a way to make money. This revenue stream they used to have is gone. So Big Jim, along with a couple of other uh, members of his gang, come up with a plan in early, yeah, late spring, 1876. It's actually, I believe, Big Jim's idea to hold hostage for ransom Abraham Lincoln's remains. Question, how drunk were they at the pub uh, probably, when this idea came up? Probably pretty drunk because what happens next is, so Big Jim has this idea. He's a mastermind. He's like, all right, we're going to go to Springfield, which is where Lincoln's body is is entombed, is laid to rest. There's a memorial there. It's not Fort Knox, but there is some security. There's some locks to overcome and things like that. But Big Jim says, we're going to go there. We're going to steal the body. We're going to demand from the governor $200,000 and the release of Benjamin Boyd, of course, from prison because he's our moneymaker. He's going to make us all of our future money. This gets us individually rich, and we have Benjamin Boyd out of prison, and it's a win-win. What could possibly go wrong? So this is a uh, national treasure, but for criminals <laughs> and now big Jim in my head is just Nick Cage. Nick, that works. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> he works at Shamrocks. He's Nicholas Cage. Just we'll go with that. So they go to Springfield, this band of Mary, you know, fill in the rest of the cast. You have Nicholas Cage, you have whoever you want that go to um, Springfield. I'm sure Brad Pitt's one of them, except he would want the lead. Oh. So I'm not sure how that would work. So we're combining Ocean's Eleven but Nick Cage is the leader now. Well, there are I'm two, here for it. Let me give you the two other. There, there are. Well, actually, on this one, there's Terrence Mullen, who's a saloon keeper, and Jack Hughes, who is a very, again, small time crook. Um, so I don't know who comes to mind there. Okay, so we, we'll put we'll do Clooney and Matt Damon. <laughs> wow. So it's Nick Cage, Clooney, and Matt. That's I would a, watch that. Yeah, you would. That's a very, very female centric cast. It feels like that's very. Um, slanted cast, I think, but that would, there's a lot of star power on that screen. There, wait, should we throw a younger, like, I, I just feel like based <laughs> no, just off a, of Ocean. a less handsome guy, a couple of less handsome guys, because you want the lead guy to be, I don't know, leady. I don't feel like Nick Cage is leady, though. <laughs> no, he's really not. <laughs> Especially no. Nick Cage now. Like, <laughs> no. He's not at his national treasure looks. Like, the other two are, like, solid. You're like, yeah, I would watch this. Yeah. And you have to think, like, these are upper level, like, mob guys. We could have thrown Jack Nicholson in there. They're, that not, they're not upper level. I don't think there is upper level mob at this point in American history. It's all small time, small town crooks, you know, even in Chicago. Yeah. So whatever our cast of characters is, um, that's going to be bugging me. Now I'm going to be casting that film all night. <laughs> they go off to Springfield and they have another uh, accomplice with them at this time, too. I don't have his name here in front of me, but they have this uh, they, they they get together at this bar and over the course of a couple of uh, weeks, they're planning this heist. And they would go back and forth to Springfield from Chicago, which is not too far of a train ride. Anyway, um, it's a pretty good plan, as these things go, anyway. They're going to go up on July 3rd, 1876, which is the 
centennial. It's a very, um, you know, it's the hundred year anniversary, obviously, of the, uh, was that the ratification or was the, the agreement to the Constitution of the unit? It was a monumental date, hundred year anniversary of the Constitution, you obviously. Said- 1876, July 3rd. And I can't remember, is that the ratification date in 1776 of the uh, Constitution, or was that the adoption? Um, signing of the Declaration. I, yeah, I, I know it it's not the Constitution. Right. It's a signing. Because the Constitution took years Constitution was 89. Right. Yes. Why do I know that off the top of That's good head? to know, though. No, that's true, because... Even after the after the Declaration, they had to argue. You know, the arguments in the Federalist Papers about here's why the Constitution's a good thing, and basically sell it to the American people. No, you're right. It was a Declaration well, of Independence signed on July 3rd. Yeah, because we had we first had the Articles of Confederation, which didn't go well. No, and so they're like, this is not working. So then they had the Constitutional Convention, which my favorite part about that is uh, Ben Franklin was so far into his uh, syphilitic. <laughs> um, dementia at that point that they just they didn't tell him stuff or if they did they had someone <laughs> follow him around because they were like he will tell everybody <laughs> yeah um so anyway point of the 100 year anniversary is it's going to be a big night it's going to be a big celebration across the country 100 year anniversary of the signing of the declaration of independence let's get drunk if, as if we needed a reason we're alive in 1876 we can you know there's no reason not to get drunk there's no tv yet but <laughs> Um, no one's going to be watching Lincoln's grave, they're thinking, on that night of July 3rd, 18, uh, yeah, 1876. So they're going to go up. They're going to break in. Um, they've taken a tour of the memorial, so they know kind of the layout. There is a groundskeeper named J.C. Power, whose job it is to be the custodian of this one monument in Springfield. Um, great name. J.C. Power is a perfect name. Yep, yep. Um, that's going to be like a... Wilford Bramley, rest in peace. But oh, yes. I see that as a groundskeeper. I like it. I'm here for it. So he he's Wilford Bramley has given a tour with his mustache of the grounds of the Lincoln um, Monument, and the criminals are among the crowd. Obviously, unbeknownst to him, well, they have this plan where they're going to go and they're going to actually take the body and they're going to bury it two miles probably away, and they're going to make a ransom demand and collect the money. And probably not the best part of the plan is they're going to go dig up the body. And then present it at a prearranged place to, uh, to the, uh, I guess, the police. And and to me, thinking about that, you can just leave the body there and tell the authorities where it is after you've collected your money. Yeah, but this is a stupid part of the plan, but okay. Not not the best part of the plan, but otherwise, honestly, it's probably going to work. Like they probably could have would have gotten away with it, except that date of July third. 1876 was still three weeks away, and they they kind of got set on that, and that became such a important part of the plan that they had to hurry up and wait and they got drunk because the women in the bars like stories about what a big deal criminal you are and so one of the members of the the plan uh, was bragging to numerous women at one of the bars that he was going to steal old Lincoln's bones and she was horrified one particular woman was not so was not a you know tinder profile quotable thing so it's not the opening line for your tinder message <laughs> no. you slide into those dms i'm gonna steal lincoln's bones right i love movies and music and stealing lincoln's bones <laughs> that that's that could be on tinder that could be so many things oh, i don't <laughs> think about it so the jig's 
pretty much up because it, news travels fast in this this time, especially. There's nothing else to do but gossip. The only way you got your information was from the newspaper and other people. And so this woman actually went to the police the very next day and said, hey, this guy just told me he wants to go steal Lincoln's bones. And the police officer, who she told was actually good friends with um, someone who knew President Lincoln in life, called him. He called Robert Lincoln, President Lincoln's son, and everyone basically freaked out. And so when... Appropriately uh, freaking appropriately out. freaking out. And so the uh, the criminals woke up, I'm sure, with a nasty hangover and... and not have had not have had the uh, the result with the ladies that they imagined the night before and now not only are they hung over but they're you know all over town as the jigs up so they they need to leave they need to get out of town so they go back to chicago and they get back to big jim at the bar and big jim is kind of like you guys are idiots what we had a perfect plan why don't you guys screw it up basically you know three stooges you know what's wrong with you guys so they were horny and drunk. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. How a lot of bad things happen. That is how all great decisions are made in American <laughs> history. Yes. But, you know, the weeks go by and the heat dies down. There's no crime that's been committed and no one comes looking for him. And so Big Jim back at the bar at uh, McGillicuddy's in Chicago or whatever we shamrocks in shamrocks. Chicago. He's, he's kind of stewing and he's like, you know what? This plan is not bad. This plan could still work. And he settles on election night of the same year, of 1876. He's like, I want to do this again. I want you guys to go back. We're going to have a new guy join us. I want you guys to go back, execute basically the same plan. Don't F it up this time, please. And to ensure that you're not going to F it up, you're not going to go until November the 5th or whatever, the day before the election day. So they rearrange their their plan, and they kind of get their act together a little bit. And those two men, along with a man who works his way into the group, Louis Swiggles, and because they're they're lacking grave robbing ability is what they're lacking. I mean, there are people at this time who do have that set of skills. Uh, they, there I mean, are. It's the time of Burke and Hare. It was, a, it was a vocation because universities would need cadavers. And um, there are funny stories, funny in, I guess, a strange way of... Some of these guys got so proficient at robbing graves that they they didn't want to just do it at nighttime. They would do it during the day, and they would dig up these bodies, and they would load them into the carriage, and they would transport the bodies in the front seat. And if anybody passed them going the other way on the road, they would just basically pretend the dead body was drunk and go on about their, their way. You know, smack them around and lecture the corpse about how a father of three should not be behaving this way in the light of day. So they so, did a weekend at Bernie's for exactly. the corpses. Yeah, that's exactly There's what it so was. There's so many movie references in this right now. It's the movie one, yeah. Um, so anyway, where was I? They're going to they're do this again. They're going to go back to Springfield, and they're going to do it better this time. Well, our friend J.C. Wilford Brimley, J.C. Power, back at the, the monument, was rightly alarmed by all this, and he's, he's begging for increased security, and he's asking for help. And the, uh, the the people that fund the Lincoln Monument didn't do a great job of it. They, it was very shoddily built. There's not a whole lot of money there. It's just, it was kind of a whole, uh, it was stepped into backwards kind of from the very beginning from Lincoln's death uh, to, to begin with the fight that they had with Mary Todd about where the body was going to be, whether it was going to be in Chicago or Springfield or whatever. Anyway, so he's trying to get increased security and no one's listening to him. Meanwhile, these band of merry criminals from Chicago are going to go back to Springfield on election night and steal the body 
of Lincoln again, but do it right this time. So you have this guy, this grave robber, Louis Sweagles, with him, and they hatch a plot to do it again. Just go back on November, I think it was November 5th, the day before Election Day, in 1876, November 6th, 1876. And they go back, and they get a hotel room, and the plan is going perfectly. Um, there's not enough time for the guys to get drunk and screw it up this time. So... They make arrangements to go that night, the night of November 7th, 1876, which was Election Day, and they're going to go back and try it again. Unbeknownst to them, Louis Swiegels had been very craftily worked by a Secret Service agent, and so he was a what they called a roper. He was a criminal. He was basically an informant, a criminal informant on the inside giving information. And I figured out who he is, though. He's Tom Hardy. This is Tom Hardy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Tom Hardy is working with the, the feds and they, uh, the secret service works out, you know, basically organizes it where they're going to be waiting at the monument. They're going to be waiting for the arrival of the criminals. And so all the three, four secret service agents, they go inside the dark tomb where Abraham Lincoln's dead body is. And they're waiting on election night for the arrival of the criminals. That's going to be really comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not creepy as hell. No, not at all. No ghosts in there whatsoever. No six foot <laughs> I, eight tall ghosts in there at all. I mean, if I was Lincoln, I definitely wouldn't haunt my tomb. <laughs> but I mean, it definitely would be really creepy still. Like chilling with Lincoln's bones. Nobody's taking a selfie with it, you know? No. So they wait and they wait and they wait. And eventually they hear the approach of the criminals. They're, they're coming up and they're breaking into the tomb. And there's a big marble sarcophagus around Lincoln's coffin. The coffin itself is like 400 pounds. But the sarcophagus they eventually pry open. And the, uh, the informant, Louis Schwiegels, has a, a, a sign that he gives. And he goes outside and he gives it to the lead Secret Service guy. And the Secret Service guy acknowledges it but says, we're going to wait. We're going to wait because I want them in the act of actually having their hand on the, the grave itself, on the, the box itself. So they wait, and they wait, and finally he gives the command to go, and the rest of his guys start charging out of the you know hiding places that they're, they're in to go around the corner to the tomb. And one of the Secret Service agents' pistols goes off accidentally. Oh, no. So the element of surprise is gone. And by the time they get to the tomb, the criminals have left because Louis Swiegel's is trying to find a way to get to out of Dodge, basically, to, to, to flee so he's not there when everyone gets arrested. He says, I'm going to go get a wagon that ne doesn't exist. So he's gone. And while they were waiting for Swiegels to return with the wagon, the other two guys were like, this doesn't feel right. They don't know that the feds are there. But they're like, we're not going to wait in the tomb here for, you know, let's wait outside. And that's when the gun goes off. So they book it. The other two criminals book it and they escape. So for three or four days, these people, these two criminals, Jack Hughes and Terrence Bowen, they're wandering through Illinois and they elude capture for a good four or five days. Eventually, though, Terrence Mullen goes back to Tending Bar with Big Jim at Shenanigans in Chicago. And Jack Hughes initially holds up with his dad, but he also eventually goes back to the bar. So eventually the Secret Service agent gets word that all three of the guys are back at the bar at the same time. And he arrests Terrence Mullen and Jack Hughes um, for the crime of attempting to steal Lincoln's body. Eventually, they're both sentenced to one year in jail. After all that, they're sentenced to <laughs> one year in jail. And uh, one of them, Jack, was it Jack Hughes? I can't remember. One of them, though, 
this was kind of a low blow. This was a, a, a dick move a little bit. When he's coming out of jail after serving his sentence, the Secret Service agent is there waiting. When he's walking out a free man, he arrests him for a different crime and sends him right back, right back in jail uh, for counterfeiting. Aww. I think that was Jack Hughes for counterfeiting. But that in the before my battery dies here, and I'll switch audio sources. That is the history of the attempted theft of Lincoln's body. Fun footnote, though, it turns out like Washington's skull was also uh, stolen nearly. Really, yeah. I didn't know that. It was a gardener who uh, had been fired. And so he went back and inside uh, that tomb, I guess, there's a whole bunch of different coffins and he grabbed a skull and I think it was the wrong one. I think that's what that was. But I had never heard that before. It's in this book. Again, great book um, that I read over the weekend. But yeah, body snatching for ransom was not unheard of. No. And I do believe that had one of the guys not gotten drunk on that first time around it would have worked it sounds like it would have it's actually a good plan um do you want to tell everyone where to find all of your podcasts i do thank you um if i can remember what they are they are frozen truth they are status pending with heather wright they are uh dead and gone in wyoming find jody why do i feel like i'm forgetting one i mean that's four isn't that i think that's it that's enough um they're available everywhere your podcast read also available for free, obviously. And we'll be back next week with a fun historical story that's not true crimey. It's worry, but not true crimey. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. Bye. A suspicious suicide. A 54-year-old cold case. A 17-year-old girl who disappeared and whose stepfather was just released from jail. A stabbing in a college party that challenged social and political boundaries. A false confession that nearly landed a standout college football player in jail for the rest of his life. These are the cases we cover on Status Pending, a monthly three-part look into cases which are open, unresolved, or prematurely closed. We bring voices of the victims, their families, and others with expert knowledge of the cases we cover with the hopes that continuing to shine light on the questions surrounding these cases might one day bring closure. Join us every month for a new chapter in our podcast. Subscribe to Status Pending wherever you listen. For more information, including ways to contact us about future cases you think we should cover, visit statuspending.podbean.com. I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And, and we're, we're the hosts of Nature vs. Narcissism, a true crime podcast mixed with some dark humor. Sometimes we have alcohol. Sometimes we have guests. Sacramento, California. Canton, Michigan. Green River, Honolulu, Hawaii. Omaha, Nebraska. Niagara, North Dakota. Gloucester, United Kingdom. Dakota County, Wyoming. Epizoyacan, Hidalgo. Mexico, Flint, Michigan, Boston, Massachusetts, Phoenix, Arizona, Woodruff, South Carolina, Edmonton, Georgia, Hudson Valley, New York. In season two, we will examine notorious killers in cities across the globe from A to Z. We'll delve into their criminal history as well as their upbringing to try to determine why these killers commit these violent acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was, or was it, it plain, plain old narcissism? narcissism? Find us on your favorite podcast streaming service or visit murder.ly. Domesticity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts and our Instagram is at The Cult of Domesticity. We also have 
podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free. Mm-hmm.